0: Rest. Okay, so let's pick it up from Daf iron test on the days. Let's do the Bada Mishnah. The Mishnah says like this. The Mishnah says, The Mishnah is continuing about talking about the husband who spends money on his wife's malug. Niksa Malug again is belongs to the wife, but the husband gets the Paris. So let's say the husband spent a lot of money on it. Does he is he able to, you know, if they get divorced, can he ask for the money back? Could he take her in court? So halacha is like this. If you spend money on your wife's muluk to improve it, and then you get divorced. Here's the deal. If he just spent money, the basic halacha is if he spent money and didn't get anything from it, he never benefited from the property, then we look at it as someone, we look at it sort of like someone going into someone's property and improving it. The halacha is you have to be compensated if however he benefited at all from that malug so let's say it's a field he spent a thousand dollars but he ate one one bushel of apples so that's it so then it's part of the malug process so then it's not just like going over to a a stranger and improving their property then it's considered it was your business and you don't get uh, get anything so kim, as long as you eat a little bit meaning whether you consumed a little or you consumed a lot you don't you're not getting compensated However, if you spend money on you not don't, you don't get anything from it. Then you shove a kama hajjzi. You have to make an oath how much you spent the eeton, you get the money back. And you get paid for your compensation. Now, the Gemara is going to talk about how much you get paid and all that stuff that we'll deal with. Kama kema, how much is considered a little bit of eating, which even if you eat that amount, even a tiny bit, then you can no longer claim any compensation. Even one dried fig. Even eating one dried fig from the field makes it that it's considered a business partnership and you can't claim money, but as long as you ate in a dignified manner, meaning if you if you ate it in a, a regular derech achila, if you ate the fig where you swallowed it whole, where it's not considered regular achila, then it's not considered benefiting from it because it's not considered normal. Now says the Gemara, go on the next page, even as little as a pressed of cake dates uh, cake of pressed dates, that's also, um, even though it's a tiny amount, that's considered benefiting. buyer of bibi, chuvca de tamri what about squeezed out dates, which was pulp, which was a very, very uh, cheap product. Is that considered benefiting enough? Teiku, we're not sure. Now, so if you ate it in a normal fashion, even if you ate a small cake of figs, whatever, or dates, that's considered benefit. Loyach der mai, what if you didn't eat it in a bakavadik way? Let's say you ate it in a non-bakavadik way what's the halacha how much do you have to eat in a non-covetic way to be considered eating in halacha for these halachas one says you have to eat an isser's worth a diner's worth okay fine Rav Yehuda issued a ruling regarding um, grapevines what happened was there was a man who spent a lot of money on his wife's grapevines And he fed the grapevines to his animal. The chiddush is that's considered a hanah. That eating, uh, feeding the grapevines to to the animal is considered a normal form of hanah. That if you do that, then uh, you cannot claim compensation. And Rav Yudal Tamid is Rav Yudal Shitasi. Dam Rav Yudah Achla Orla Shviyusuklaim Harizah Chazaka. Rav Yudah said the halachas is a cancel chazaka, which is squatters' rights. If someone uses a field for three years. And no one complains, and no one, uh, you know, questions it. That's considered ownership. And the halacha is that if you stayed in a field for three years and you ate arla shvius and klayim by feeding them to the animals, you ate grapevines of arla shvius or klayim. By feeding them, you can't eat it because you can't eat it. But the grapevines which are not prohibited by Arlo via and Kalayim, if you fed them to the animals, that's a chazaka, because that's considered you, normal. You see that eating, feeding grapevines to an animal is considered a normal form of achilah, if it's a normal form of achilah. That's why, when it comes to laws of chazaka, and that's why over here, uh, you no longer can request compensation. Let's say a husband spent money on the muluk property of his wife when she was a katana. I mean, the case is, this was a rabbinic marriage, so she was an orphan and she was married by her brothers, which we said, we know, uh, we've talked about this many times, that that marriage could end through miyun. So the halacha is that if uh, if she eats, if, if a man spends money on his wife's property in such a marriage when she's a katana, then he could claim, even if he consumed the benefit, he could still get compensation. So the question is, why? My time? I don't understand. He's a regular husband and wife. If the husband spends money on the malug, but benefits, he can't claim. Why over here could he claim compensation? The answer is, people know, the Rabbana knew that this marriage, the husband is not going to want to spend a lot of money, because he knows that she could do me in any second, and make the entire marriage null and void. So in order for him to feel confident, they made a deal with him that if they ever get divorced, he can claim compensation, even if he benefited from it. So it was in order to sort of help this marriage along. Ha'hi itasa... There was a certain woman, that she had 400 Zuz fell to her as an inheritance in Bey So the husband went to go get the money. Uh, this sounds like a bad business deal. He he went on the trip to get the 400 Zuz, but he ended up spending 600 to get it. So he spent a lot of money to try to get this uh, this this money that fell to her. Now, Kasi, when he's coming home, he, he needed one more Zuz for traveling expenses, The and he took it. So also the commander of Ami, so now he spent 601 uh uh, zuz on this process. So he came in front of Ami uh to demand compensation for the money he spent trying to get the inheritance when they got divorced. He felt no, you can't claim it. Why? Because he felt that when he took uh when he took the one zuz, he felt that that was considered benefiting from the Nikse alug, And uh and uh it's like he looked at the money as sort of like the fruit. And by you taking the one zeus, that's benefiting. Once you benefit, you can't ask for compensation. So the Gemara says, Wait a minute. That's only true when you benefit from the fruit of the labor. Over here, you took the money. The money was the principle. By him taking the money, that's not benefiting from the Nechismuluk. That's borrowing money from his wife. It's one thing, listen. You spend money on, a, on, a, on an orchard, and then you eat the fruit. That's benefiting from the peris. Over here, that's not betting for them from bears. He ate the, he, he took the money. That's borrowing money from the, the estate. It was another way of just, it was another expense. Meaning, instead of looking at it as it cost $600 and he benefited one, look at it as he, it cost him $601. In which case, he should be able to demand compensation. The Gemara says, you're right. You're right. If that's the case, then it's as if he did not benefit at all and he could demand compensation the halacha is that if he spent money on niches but didn't benefit he could make an oath about how much he spent and he takes what, what it cost him you only spend the val- it's only true if the value of the improvements is equal to the expenses meaning Ravasi is telling you two things one is that the expenses if if the improvement was more than the expenses then you get the expenses without okay Basically, you're always going to get less. So let's say you spent $100, and that caused it to go up $500, you're going to get $100. If, let's say, you spent $100 and only went up $50, bucks, you're only going to get $50. Bucks. We always make it less. The question is, when he said, who, the she was he saying that you could take the lesser amount without an oath? Was that what he meant? Meaning, there's two ways you could look at what he said. One is that if, if, if the expenses are less than the improvement meaning so let's say the expenses are $100 $100 but only prove 50, you can take 50 without an oath, or he's saying that you always just take the less amount. Is he saying that you could take the less amount without an oath, or is he just saying you always take the less amount? So, what did he mean? If the improvement was greater than the expense, you could take the less amount without an oath, meaning, if let's say you spent $100 but went up $500, you take $100 without an oath. That's what he's saying. If you want it, meaning, you don't take the greater amount, you take the lesser amount without an oath. Now, Now, the kasha is, yeah, meaning, I think, I think what Abai is saying is that the oath is only if the, yeah, the oath is only if the expense, if the, if the improvement was more than the expense, so then he made money, but if the expense was less than the improvement, so then... He just uh, he takes it without an oath. The problem is some Im people are just gonna act deceitful by saying that they they'll just they'll just say that they, they um he spent more than he really did. Meaning once people can start taking it without an oath, then then it's chaos. Well, Rava says no no, you can never take money without an oath. What what did Ravasi mean? Ravasi meant that if the expenses were greater than the improvements... Then, then you have to make an oath, but you take the lesser amount. Meaning what Rav is saying is, Ravasi just means to imply astringency, that you always get the lesser amount. So Abaya thought it meant that if the improvements are less than the expense, if improve, improvements are less than the expense, then you could take it without an oath. Rav is like, no, no, there's no such thing as taking money without an oath. It just means you always get the lesser amount. Whether the expense is less than the improvement, the improvement is less than the, you always get the lesser amount. Okay, Bal a recent of Let's say a husband took sharecropper, sharecroppers into his wife's mulug property to work the property. Now, sharecroppers, the way it works is they work, and instead of getting paid, they just take a percentage of the field. So you have this guy who's working in the wife, the, uh, the husband hires the worker for the wife's property, and then before the guy was ready to get paid, the husband gets divorced. So the question is, Mahu? does he get paid? So you'll say, Why wouldn't she get paid? Do we say that he was hired to replace the husband, meaning under the auspices of the husband, and therefore he's treated like the husband, just like the husband got divorced. When the husband got divorced, he no longer had a claim to the field, so do the sharecroppers no longer have a claim to the field. Or perhaps, no, they work the field. And perhaps he should get paid. Now, it's an interesting thing. The Gemara is saying a possibility you don't have to pay him. So the Gemara is of The halacha is that if you go into your friend's field and make improvements without his consent, you get the lesser amount, meaning you get the lesser of the expense or the improvement, but you get paid. So how could it be that this sharecropper is working in the wife's field the wife, the husband gets divorced, you don't have to pay the sharecropper. How could that be? What, what would the svarah for that be? So the answer is, The answer is, when you go into someone's field and you improve it, no one else was going to do that. So therefore you should get paid. But over here, if the sharecropper didn't work, what would happen? The husband would work. So then, the sharecropper's work, it sort of looks at, It's like a loss for the wife. Because had they not... Meaning the sharecropper is now working and wants to get paid. And if the sharecropper didn't do it, then the husband would have done it. So if the husband would have done it, she wouldn't have to pay him. But now she has to pay. So because the husband hired someone, it's sort of like the wife is getting messed up. Because if now that they got hired, so she has to pay him a, a, a ten thousand dollars, you know. And and if the and if she and if he didn't hire, what would happen? The husband would work the field. The husband's not going to let the field die. So now, it's because the husband was lazy, he hired them. But now they're divorced. It's like, I get it when they're married, so the husband can make that choice. But now they're divorced, the wife is, is on the short end. So I understand why there's a possibility. You don't have to pay. So my have what's the halacha? chazin, and we check. if the husband is a sharecropper, meaning if the husband is capable of working the field, so then taka, the wife, is getting messed up, then istal bal istal then you don't have to pay the sharecroppers. But, but if the husband is not working, he wouldn't have done it anyway. He would have to stop hire anybody. So then kaima. then you're going to have to hire someone anyway, in which case you have to pay the sharecropper. That's the halach. The Gemara continues like this. The Gemara says, If the husband sold his wife's melug land for the produce, what is the halacha? Meaning, let's say the husband gets the produce. Yeah, So the husband gets the produce. And... What if he sells just the produce? Meaning, he gets the produce. So he wants to sell someone else's the rights to take the produce. Can he do that? Do we say, well, if it's his produce, why can't he sell it? Go to the next page. Or perhaps, no. Chazal only gave him the right. Chazal only gave him the right to, to, to take the Paris... It, the, meaning, Chazal gave him the right of the Paris in order to help that, that that his family will have money. Because then the husband will be generous and give his wife money, and he'll take care of his wife because he's getting Paris from her. But to sell it, what? Why would that be good? Meaning, the whole purpose of the husband getting Paris is in order to, is in order for the family to have money, so that when he he he'll be generous with his wife. But Chazal never gave him the Paris in order to sell it. That's not why they did it. So, so what's the halacha? If he sells the rights of the parents to someone else, as it work? So the first opinion says yes. It does not. So it's a machlegus. When Rabbi Yehuda Bar Mar Bar said in the name of Rova that the sale is valid, he actually never heard it from Rova. He deduced it from something else that happened with Rova. He said, there was a woman who brought into her marriage two slaves as Malug. Ozil of Then the husband married someone else, Ayla and gave one of the slaves to his co-wife, So now the first wife who brought in the slaves, Safcha, she's screaming, I didn't want the slaves to be given. And and Ravah didn't stop it. So, oh, so what do you have over here? The husband has the rights to the slave, and he gave it to his co-wife. And you see, Ravah was okay with it. So if, if the husband could give one slave to the co-wife, why? So then it's deduced from this, So the one who saw this episode thought it must be that Ravah feels that the husband can... Give over the rights, meaning if the husband can take a slave and give it over to the co-wife, so why can't the husband take the fruit that he has and sell it to someone else? What's the difference? But the Gemara says loyhi. It's actually not true. Mishum beisav the answer is it's not true. He actually, it could be rubber would actually hold you can't sell the Paris. I why by so I can't sell the Paris. So why could I take a slave and give it to the co-wife? The answer is because the purpose of the slaves is to clean the house. The co-wife lives in the house. Rav is okay with it because the purpose of the slaves is to take care of the home. And, and 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 the slave is taking care of the home. It's just, she's taking care of the co-wife's bedroom, whatever. But but to, to sell the fruit to someone else, who said that's okay? The Hilchah what's the halacha? Baal shemocha HaKark LePeris. If a person sells the fruit to someone else, meaning he sells the rights to take the Peris, meaning it's not effective. Why is it not effective? A bias is very simple, because we're afraid the buyer, knowing that this can end any time, right? I have the rights to, to pick fruit, and I, I'm, I'm the husband, so I sell it to John. The halach is not effective. Why? Because Anson, the well, reason Abaya says, because John won't take care of the fruit. Why? Because he knows that any time this marriage can end, and I'll lose my rights, so why should I put in a lot of effort into the field? I mean, the husband always takes care of the field because he wants the fruit but the husband sold it to someone else the question is will that guy really take care of the field the answer is not really because he knows at any moment the marriage can dissolve and the arrangement will dissolve so that's the first answer Ravah says ravach beisa. the reason is because we want the household to have profit meaning he was never granted the right to sell it the purpose of the Paris was given in order for the husband to be generous with the wife we never intended for him to sell. So those are two reasons. Miami, what's the difference between these two views? First of all, what if the land is near her home, is near other people's homes? So if the concern is that the buyer will not take care of the land, he will, because everyone's watching. It's right there, like the mashkichim. But if the concern is that the husband doesn't have the right, he still doesn't have the right. Inami Or perhaps the nafka would be where the husband is a sharecropper meaning the husband himself works the field and he won't allow it to deteriorate. So if you're worried about deterioration, the husband won't allow it. If you're saying the husband doesn't have the right, he still may not have the right. iska, <laughs> Or perhaps a nafkamina would be... <clears throat> If the husband takes the money that he gets from this sale and uses it to make the house better. If the whole reason why we'd, we we don't want him to do it is because the reason for this is, to, is for him to be generous with his wife. He'll be more generous because he's making money off this. But if the reason is that it'll deteriorate, Itaka will still deteriorate. Okay. New Mishnah. We'll do this. Mishnah then we'll stop. Shemeres yavam shenaflo You have a woman who's awaiting to do Yibum. So the halacha is so she had her stuff from her first marriage she was owed money from her first marriage 200 ziz, and now her husband died she's waiting to do yibim. the question is how do we look at her that matzah is she like a a woman after kedushin? can she sell the property is she single she has zika she has to do yibim. is that enough to stop her from selling so is misham and vnesen both Meshama and Bessil agree that she could sell or give away the property during that time period. Although they argue about whether a woman after kedushin could, everyone agrees that a woman in this situation uh, definitely could. Because she's not, she's single for these halachas. Mesa, if she died while waiting for her Yibam, Ma'yasim Ksuvasa, what happens with her Ksuvah? Because so you got the 200 Zuz that was waiting for her. You got the Nechzei Malug, Nechzei Tzim all these things. Who owns it? If, if she's married, then it should go to her husband. So if waiting through the evening, when she's considered married, then her, her Yavam should inherit it. If she's single, it should go to her father. So who should get it? So, Beishamei Oymrim, Ya'achluk, Ya'ashe'a Baalim, Ya'ashe'a Av. says, we're not sure, so they should split it. 50-50. The husband and the father split it. The Yavam and the father split it. Beishamei oimrim Nechasim, Mechazkasim. uksuba bebechazkas, Ya'ashe'a Baal. So, Beishamei says, we're, we're, because we're not sure, here's the deal. Nechasim the Ksuvah money, which is the 200 Zuz, which was not paid yet, so it's by the Yavam, he holds on to it. The money that she brought in, the Nechazim that she brought into the marriage, that which belonged to the father before the marriage, before she got married the first time, that the father keeps. Because we're not sure, we're just going to keep it as status quo. So the 200 Zuz, what she wants to get from the Yavam, that the Yavam holds on to. The Nechazim, had Nechazim, the the that. The, uh, that she brought into the original marriage that she brought into the original marriage that's because we're not sure <laughs> he's so stupid because she br- that 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 the that what she brought into the original marriage belonged to her father that the father is gonna hold on to and this is actually on zoom being listened to by people I'm being distracted by a person who's not very bright so <laughs> the Mishnah continues. but but Gavin, this distraction is um, <laughs> the distraction from my sister just now was a better distraction than I had on Friday. Okay, Okay, now the last part of the the last two sections of the Mishnah is what do you do with the brother's estate? Okay, so now Haniach So a little bit of a background. It's like this. Um, when she does ebum, she doesn't write her own Ksuba. All the Ksuba obligations, the 200 zos and all the obligations um, are taken from the original brother's estate. Now, generally, when a woman is has a Ksuba, the husband, you know, if when the husband dies of divorces, if there's cash, she takes it. Whatever, if there's money, she takes it. If he sold it, then she'll go... And she'll get it from the sale. She'll try to undo the sale. Yibum is different. A woman waiting yibum, the halacha is that Chazal didn't want her to be at a disadvantage because if she's only getting money from the husband's, the first husband's estate, if the first husband's estate, if they send all the money, it's going to be very hard for her to get it. So what they did was, they made it like this: the 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 Yivama's lean on the properties of the first husband's estate is much stronger than the standard lien the standard lien is where if it's available she'll take it and if it's sold she'll have to go undo the sale that's not the way it is by the first husband's estate the halakh is such a strong lien for her ksuba that they actually can't sell it what they have to do is sort of what we did in the first Mishnah, which is like the Nikhse Malug. It has to be sold and spent on something that the principal will still be there for her. So they'll, they'll take the estate, the money from the estate, and they'll spend it, but they'll spend it on things that will make sure, like they'll buy land, and then the family can have the payers, but the land is set aside for her. It's a very strong lien on the property. So, if the deceased brother left money, so y'all can make karka. So is that land should be bought with the money. And the the brother can eat can eat the peris, <coughs> but the actual land itself, <coughs> the actual land itself, um, meaning this is money, so this is movable. The, this is following the sheet that there's a lien on the property for the movable as well. Therefore, it has to be spent on karka. Karaka and so the karka is set aside for her. There's a strong lead on the property for her. And the money, and the, the fruit, can be consumed by the brother. One second. Now, again, th- th- I just want to clarify. This is talking about a case where the brother did Yibam. So he takes over the first brother's estate. But... Although he took over the first brother's estate, he, he still can't do with it whatever he wants because there's a very strong lien on those properties. So if he left cash, the halach is that cash has to be spent on karga. The brother who did Yibam can eat the peris, and the actual karga itself is set aside as a lien for her ksuba. Peris hatzlushim in a karga. If the brother left over produce detached from the tree, so you him in karga. The halach is that that has to be used to be bought with karga. You buy karka with that. And he eats the produce. If he left produce attached to the ground, we figure out the value of the fruit at the time, and the difference. mean the value of the fruit. You see, you find out how much is the land valued with with the with the unripe fruit. How much is the land valued without? You figure out that value, the difference, and with that, you spend money to buy uh, produce, and the oven eats the produce. Um, yeah, meaning meaning Meir holds, this is Momish, like the reverse of the previous mission. Rav Mayer holds that whatever grew before before whatever grew before the brother did Yibam belonged to the previous estate belongs as a lien to her. Whatever grows after, all the parents that grew after belong to the second husband. So you have to figure out how much is the value of that fruit because that's all part of the estate they say no. Atulushim They say no. The produce that's attached to the ground is is his, it's the Yavam's. It's not part of the Ksuba. And if it's detached, then whoever gets it first, meaning if he came first, the if the Yavam sold it it works. if she sold Paris. If she came in and, and seized it first, then you sell the land and you use it to buy produce. Um, this is because they actually disagree. They feel that movables is not pledged to the Ksuba, um, and therefore it belongs to the Yavim, but they do agree that if, that if the if the wife seized it um, during her husband's lifetime, uh, meaning if she set it aside as part of the Ksuba, then it does work. Okay. Kansa, if he marries her, he does Yivim, she's like a wife in all respects, except that the Ksuba obligations come from the first husband's estate. Therefore, so again, that means that let's say again. So let's say the husband, uh, the husband died, the brother does yivam, and he gets all of the brother's estate. The brother's estate was worth one hundred thousand dollars. So as I said, all of that is a lien on the property. It's a lien on the property. He can't just sell it because it's all lien for the k'suba. Now the k'suba is worth let's say ten thousand. So that means a hundred thousand is lien because of ten. So why can't he just say, listen, here's ten thousand dollars. I'm giving it to you. The ninety thousand, if we ever get divorced or or, or died. Here's the ksuba payment. Put it aside the other ninety. I can sell now. Allah is no good. Rather, all the brother's property is pledged to the ksuba as a lien on the property. A normal, ordinary man can't do that. Can't just say, "Listen, here's the here's the money set aside for the ksuba, and the rest, no no good. There's a lien on all the property." Girsha, if after taking her in Yibam they get divorced, ain't la she only gets Laksuba. Meaning, then he could designate a certain amount, give it to her, and the rest is it becomes his. Echzir, if, he remarries her, then if he remarries her, then she's like anyone else and the, all these special liens do not apply. Alright, we'll stop here. Pick it up tomorrow.